episode 162, Hot Shot Scott. This is the the tease. You were at the game the other night, were you not? It feels like 10 years ago, that game. Yes, I was at that. It feels like maybe I've just blocked out what happened, but yes, I was at that game and I'd like my money back even though I didn't pay. You want your money? You didn't pay. <laughs> the person you want your money back. Money back yes. I have questions. You have stories. I have questions. What do you want to do first? I'll give you a quick story. And this story. is the tease. Yeah, let's do the story first. Go so ahead. I'm walking out of the game and as I typically do in life, I walk with my head down as to not make eye contact and you know engage with people, that kind of thing. And what, what do I spot in the middle of the international district but a brown wallet just sitting there by itself? Oh, man. Have you ever lost your like wallet? Like on your way back to the car? On my or way back to the car. I parked yeah. in the International District. Yeah. Losing your wallet's the biggest pain in the ass of all time. Oh, right? it's the worst. The credit the card. And I lose it all the time, but not really lose it. I just misplace it. I can't right. find it. Okay. Last night, uh, Saturday night, I was going out to dinner, and I got in the car. It's like, oh, I don't have my wallet. And then we were late. <laughs> oh, we are meeting two other couples. and <laughs> the whole and thing. I, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I grabbed this wallet, and I'm like, I'm just going to take it. This thing's going to get stolen by... There's some unsavory characters floating around down in that part of town. I was like, someone's taking this. So right. I'm a responsible adult. I take the wallet. I look through it. I get. I pull the ID out and I just go right to Facebook. I'm going to Facebook this person and I'm going to give them their wallet back. Good. I message... I, I find the account. He hasn't updated it since 2019. He's yeah. barely got... He, there's no <laughs> way this guy's checking his messages. Right. right. I hit him up. I get in my car. Boom. I get a Any call. money in there? Five bucks. That's it? Well, I was thinking about that, but Lumen Field <laughs> is now cashless. You pay for parking on your phone. Nobody brings cash anymore. No, nobody nobody does, cash. except yeah. for the guy who hasn't been to the game for a while and got like a hundred. Except for Tepper. Well, yeah, except for Tepper. But <laughs> I also brought a hundred bucks with me for parking oh, and food. Like just, oh, I you did. Didn't spend one dime of it. Anyway, okay. yeah. this guy actually checked his messages and called me before I'm out of the parking lot. He's like, oh, you found my lot. Where, where did you? He didn't even know he lost it until I messaged him. Wow. That was, is that me or you? Sorry. I don't know what that is. Probably okay. Um, what? Probably ESPN that always does yeah, that to me. Just, I hate just, that. just starts doing it. So kind of go back yeah, yeah. and I'll yeah. just say he didn't know he messaged me or he didn't lost him. He didn't had, he didn't even know he had lost it until I messaged him. Like no <laughs> clue. Somebody was enjoying themselves at the game. Good yeah. old good old. Yeah. Uh, what was his name? Jay. I think his name was Jay. He was having a good time. And he's not a patron. Well, he 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 didn't. Okay, so he didn't know he had lost it. Okay. So we make a plan to meet up in Bellevue the next day. Oh. Because I'm a nice fella. Yeah. The guy I'm with is like, just look at the address and just throw it in the mail. I'm like, first of all, I don't want an errand now. Yeah. We're packaging up some. <laughs> no. Second of all, it's it's Thursday night. Uh, the guy probably wants his debit card for the weekend. Yeah. Maybe his driver's license. Yeah. I'm not an animal. <laughs> I'm gonna find this guy. So we make a plan to meet up in Bellevue. I'm excited I found him. I was like, right. it's the worst thing ever to lose your wallet. Right. So we meet up, he says, Hey, um, you know, he was very nice. Like, I Where do you, you meet up with a fellow like this? <laughs> well, he had a coincidentally you have I, a beer with him or not? Well, uh, now that I work in downtown Bellevue, I said, I'll be oh, in downtown oh, Bellevue. this is a Friday. This is the day after the game. Correct. Right, right, right. And if he lived in Spokane, I was going to make him drive. You could have met at Top Pot Donuts. Well, we did. Oh. As okay. a matter of fact. <laughs> that's good, that's good the guess. landmark. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so we meet up down there. He, he happened to have a lunch at 520. Just, coincidentally, he had to go there anyway. It worked okay. out perfectly. Okay. He says, hey, I noticed you worked at uh, Cube 93. From, uh, I was looking at your Facebook. I was like, hey, oh, I grew up with the T-Man show. Oh, my gosh. The T-Man. He loved uh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Got it. Well, but listen. Yeah. So I said, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. So, so how old of a guy? Roughly thirty-two. Oh, young guy lost his wallet. Yeah, thirty-five yeah. maybe. Carrying like, five bucks. Yeah, carrying five bucks, but okay. five credit cards. Okay. I went ahead and looked. Right. And a Costco card. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> on the yeah, way I home, made fun of his wife one day. Go ahead. On the, yeah, that's right. On yeah. the way home, I told my friend we should take the five bucks and go get a couple ice cream cones at McDonald's <laughs> for his penance. Um, but I gave him his five bucks back. Right. right. So they, I, he said, "What have you been doing lately?" Like, as if my life just uh, stopped on 2009 I when see. the show ended, you know? I see. Like, it, 
in a way it kind of did, but you know, I, I have done other things. I said, well, I do a podcast with a guy named Mitch Levy. And he goes, oh, I, I think I know that name. So he knew who you were. And I, he tried to like, he's like, I owe you. I owe you. And I said, all you have to do, you owe me nothing. I want you to have your money. You have to go subscribe to the podcast. Oh, I go, thank you, hotshot. I go, you don't even have to listen. Just go subscribe. <laughs> just hit play on all the episodes. Fine. That's what I tell everybody. Right. Just hit play on all the episodes. So he wrote back, I just subscribed and uh, I'm actually going to listen to. So we have oh, one new so he's listener. Gonna, he's going to hear his story as it plays out on a podcast. Unless he was just talking shit that day and saying I'm he's sure. going to listen. We're I'm going sure. to, to get find out. Now, give me my wallet. Back. That's exactly right. Leave me alone, big guy. <laughs> now, I give me a maple lunch. bar and let's go. <laughs> that's right. So Jay got his wallet back and he's a new listener. We love you, you Jay. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the show. Listen, um, how was the home field advantage? Everybody is poo-pooing. Well, they, it's because they've lost their two home games. Yeah. But it, everybody's poo-pooing the Seahawks home field advantage. Greg Bell tweeted that it's louder. it was louder at the Mariners games huh. over the weekend than it is at Seahawks. Apparently, the Seahawks have no, the 12s are no good anymore, and the Seahawks have no home field advantage. What's your take on that? I haven't been to a game in a couple of years, so I don't yes. know that I'm a great okay. judge of that. Right. Well, get me somebody who is. But, it, but I, I actually did a little test. I yelled with oh, my mask on and then with it off. Definitely louder with it off. Of course it is. Yeah, yeah. Just definitely. Of I mean, course it is. Yeah. But yeah. I, I can tell you that I was a little surprised at how loud it was. Oh. My, my ears, I think there's something wrong with them because they make different noises at, at Seahawks Stadium when it's really loud. Like yeah. I hear crackling. Yeah. And it crackled a few times. Oh. So it sounded loud to me, but again, I hadn't been in a, in a couple years. So I don't okay. know if I'm the best expert, you know, okay. to tell you about how loud it was. Okay. But it, it sounded But it wasn't loud. impacting. It wasn't impacting the Rams. I'm wondering. Has Matt it, Stafford was yeah, but fine. Has it, has it ever impacted it? I mean. Yeah, oh, yeah. But has it? I mean, everybody oh, yeah. has the silent count now. Like, yeah. Oh no. How There's, much does it really impact? It, it has over the years. It has. We've had quarterbacks tell us. I remember when Jake Delhomme came on our show years and years ago, and he said it was so freaking loud in the playoffs. I couldn't call the plays with any rhythm in the in the huddle because they couldn't hear me. And 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 it was just yes. Yeah, so I think it still. I think it still gives the defense, especially the Seahawks defense, okay. which is really really good. So I, I, it's it's great for this a really good defense to get a a lift from the crowd because yeah. I'll yell as I almost pass out from yelling and then I see him just snap it no problem there's no penalty no you know, no nothing so I'm wondering how well does it work so it feels like that that game was forever ago you just pointed yeah. that out oh. so I go to dinner on Saturday night with my wife's my wife sets up this thing with a couple of other couples her friends oh yeah the best. and you know and. It, and, you know, I get there, and I'm just I, – I, I, on the way there, I'm trying to figure out, okay, what are they going to ask me? And the first question – and that, it's really, really bothering me, the, the, the double punt, because now I have to an answer questions about the double punt. Oh, okay. Because I had no idea that you could punt twice. I don't think anyone did. Yeah. So and the announcers didn't. The rules official didn't. I don't think Mike Pereira knew when they brought him on. The, I think the, once the it's blocked, all bets are off. Like it acts like there is no punt. Then it kind of resets. I, think, I didn't right? know. I, I didn't know that. Sort of like when when you tip a pass, yeah. you can pi then. Like, but then I get to the Mexican restaurant on Saturday night, and one of the other husbands are like, "So tell me, <laughs> how many years has it been since you could punt twice?" <laughs> And I'm like, I, I don't, I, just, I, I don't know. Just because I look like Ray Guy doesn't mean I'm an expert in punting. Okay, I look more like Reggie Roby than Ray Guy. I have a watch on. Everybody wants to know. Yeah. Everybody's asking me. Since when can you punt twice? And the truth is, I have no idea. So I have to say I have no idea, and then they look at me funny. But you have a sports oh, podcast. Yeah. You've been doing this for how many years? You don't know. People like look down upon me because right. I had no idea that you could punt twice. I would have guessed. Um, I would have bet all the money I I have that you can't punt twice. Would you have before you saw that play? Well, like I said, only because I know that if you tip a ball at, at the line of scrimmage, then the pass interference then doesn't count. It kind of resets things in a way, you know. Now, if 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 he would have punted it and it would have gone three yards. 
and then he picks up and punts it again. I would have thought that would have oh, been illegal. Well, but well, you know what I'm saying. But yeah. to me, that's a yeah. double punt. Yeah. After a block, forget about it. You can do. Yeah. I thought you, all bets are off. You could do whatever you want after right. that. Well, but I mean, I don't. know. I yeah. didn't know. I had never. I, I can't remember know. if I ever saw it. I don't know. I think we have a finger to talk about in the first segment, don't we? Yeah. A certain finger, the most probably the most famous finger now in the history of Seattle. The middle one I was sticking out it's when the I left the game. One, yes. Yeah. It's the middle one that we were all shooting at the team at the same time. But first, we should take care of business in the um, in the T section of this episode 162. Please subscribe. Please subscribe. Nice, yeah. Even if you've had me on your podcast, it might be nice for you to subscribe. I actually listened. So, oh, you did? I did listen, yeah. Was I too harsh? It was borderline. It was borderline. <laughs> one more comment. You, you would have been over the... You would have been out of line. One more comment. I know. <laughs> no, but they I just couldn't cool believe that, it that they had never heard the show before. It, it was, it's weird, yes. But they, they seem cool. They tweeted yeah, out. You know, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's, oh, it's you all went good. and listened to it. Yeah, you? I did. I, I had to oh, hear like, what the... Re maybe you missed something was what I was thinking. Maybe they said the no, reason. And, <laughs> no. Did yeah, I miss anything? You sure didn't. <laughs> uh, so subscribe and you know hit play on these on these podcasts. It really helps when you hit play. You don't have to listen to the whole thing. You don't have to listen to any of it. Just hit play on all the podcasts that you haven't. Um, it's called Mitch Unfiltered. It's episode 162. You can become a, a patron. We do lots of extra shows each week for patrons. It's $5 a month. Go to MitchUnfiltered.com and become a patron. And if you don't have the $5, as I say all the time, just email me, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. If, if it's a tough time for you, and the finance if you lost your wallet and the only five dollars that you have <laughs> hot shot scott just email me at mitch at mitch and i'll take care of it uh beat the boys yes we've got a game a sunday night game that's involved you were one and one in the two earlier games i was two and oh really yeah i had the packers and i had the cardinals it's really dumb not to pick the cardinals why did you pick the how did you pick trey lance on the road after the way you Unless you didn't watch him, how he played well, against the Seattle Seahawks. It was a seven-point game, first of all. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't ridiculous <laughs> that I would suggest that maybe they could win, okay, first yeah, of all. Yeah. Second of all, I thought the Cardinals were hot. I, I thought maybe they were going to cool, cool down, off. just yeah. have a bad game. The yeah. Niners, I think, are still a pretty good team. And, yeah. And it was a, look, Trey Lance was trying to run it in at fourth and two, and got oftentimes the two-on-one doesn't work out well when two right. defenders are coming at Right. So if he scores there, you know, they go to overtime. I don't know. So... Yeah. Didn't work out for you. It did didn't it? work out. I'm no. one and one. Yes. You're all right. One and one's good for you. Uh, two and zero oh for me. Uh, beat the boys. This will be weekend number six in the National Football League, and I've picked three games. I'm going to give you the three games, and I'm also give you the code word that you need to be able to pick the three games. All you need to do is pick the winners next week in the following three games: Cowboys at Patriots, okay, Seahawks at Steelers. I threw oh, it in there. Thanks. And Bills at Titans. Bills again, okay. Bills again. Code word, Gino. Gotcha. G-E-N-O. It'll ask you for a code word. You've got to prove that you've heard episode 162, or at least these five seconds right. of episode 162, and type in the word, no no caps, G-E-N-O, all um, little little num little letters. That's what they're called, little numbers. Yeah. Little letters. Um, yeah. Gino was getting lots of lots of cheers, though, back to your cheering We're going to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Okay. Guests on this episode 162, before we finish out the T section, we haven't really started the show yet, Dr. Gleb Medvedev. Okay. New Orleans orthopedic surgeon specializing in hands and fingers. Great. Is going to tell us what happened, what happened in surgery, how long is realistic. We know what everybody's saying. What has to happen for him to be able to get out and play? Yeah. How long will he be in a cast? He's going to tell us the whole story. Okay. You're going to know more about the surgery that Russell Wilson <laughs> had on his right finger, his middle finger, than you've ever known before. It's better than I saw Dr. Oz released a video. I was like, I I'm not clicking on this. I can't. <laughs> 
But is Dr. <laughs> Phil next going to tell me about Russell Wilson? I can't. So I'm glad uh, we have an expert on. Thank we you. We do. Dr. Gleb Medvedev straight from New Orleans. Rick Neuheisel, who missed again. He did. He's 0 for 5. I've lost a ton, a shit ton of money. Yeah. I don't want to discuss it. And Steve Phillips, <laughs> the former Mets GM, is going to tell us how close really are the Seattle Mariners in 2021-22 next year. I guess it would be 2022. You've How had, close are they? Is it fool's gold? Yeah. Are they really close? Are they really one of these up-and-coming teams? Or are they not as good as we all think that they might be? You've had him on before in the past. Many he, times. He's great. Yes, he and is. And every time he comes on, I always feel like I'm going to listen to people talk about a party I'm not invited to in a weird way. Because he's not going to... I mean, the Mariners, they're not ever in it. He's going to talk... You know, what's going to... But this time... This is probably the most excited I've ever been to listen to him. I swear to you. I'm more excited about baseball right now than I have been in a while. So I'm excited to hear what he has to say. Okay. Well, you're going to hear him. And by the way, I'm going to ask him about an old urban myth. I've never asked him before. Okay. He was the GM in, in 19, from like 1997 to like 2003 okay. of the New York Mets. When he was with the New York Mets in 97 to 2003, he had a guy. He had two guys named John Olerud and Ricky Henderson. Oh, yeah. Do you know the story, the legendary story when they were here? I, I think do. everybody knows. I don't know if it's true or not, but I want to get his, because he was the GM before yeah. they came here. I want to get his thoughts on that story. Yeah, I don't know if, if one of them was joking around, serious. Well, John Olerud wasn't joking around because he doesn't know how to joke around. Right. It's definitely not John Olerud. Straight as an arrow. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Mr. Interlake High School. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but. Okay. You know, flatliner. Yeah. Yeah. John Olerud never got excited, never got upset. Just right down the middle. Yeah. Right? So we'll find out what Steve Phillips thinks about the Mariners. We'll find out what he thinks Good. about that story, okay? So we'll start out with Fingergate and the Geno era about to begin after reminding you that none of this, none of this is possible without our partners. Fireside Home Solutions, title sponsor of the Beat the Boys competition, our brand-new outdoor fireplace is warming our entire patio thanks to Fireside Home Solutions. It's awesome. These guys are fantastic. Start your search at Fireside homesolutions.com. Jordan Flowers and his team have changed jerseys. They're cross-country mortgage now, offering incredible refinance opportunities. So many of you could be saving money every month. 425-890-2957. That's 425-890-2957 for Jordan Flowers. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, and experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof, evergreengk.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. The growth of Zeke's Pizza is nothing less than impressive during these times. The footprint, Tacoma, north to Bellingham, now east to Spokane. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the northwest. Daniel's Broiler, all four of the locations are now open. The downtown Seattle spot in the Hyatt, lounge only, all of them need new team members, full-time, part-time, kitchen, hostesses, waiting, and bussing tables, danielsbroiler.com. Episode 162 begins right now. Unfiltered. McGrew and Pleasant combine. One guy goes over 100 yards. The other guy's got 70 or 80. They wow. combine to average seven yards a carry. Seven yards a carry. Wow. And on fourth and one with the game on the line, they go with a quarterback sneak. Unfiltered. If they re-racked and started right today and played the season over with the same group that they've got right now, I would project them to be a 500 team and not make the playoffs. Huh. And people right now listening to this are like, are you crazy? Did you not see how they finished the season? Did you not see Jared Kona coming on strong? Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 162 now. 
Hot Shot Scott is officially underway. It's weird that I didn't really write any Seahawk notes down to come here because you didn't. I didn't. I mean, I figured it's been discussed to death. Yeah. So I don't know. You, you tell me well, what, what we're going to talk about in regards to the Seahawks. Well, let me let me first ask you this: Has any part of your body ever been going the wrong way? Like his finger was going the wrong way on once. Thursday night. Yeah. Me too once. Tell, tell your story. So it was my first time ever playing in the Northwest Football League. It's a semi-pro league. Yeah. And our, the quarterback at the time was third string on UW. To give you an example of who plays in this league. He, <laughs> he was a third string quarterback at Not UW. Not bad. He backed up Hobart and Brunel. You know, yeah. he, he, he could throw. Okay. He could actually what throw. What was his name? Uh, Tom, N- Tom Nakane or Tom Nakani. Okay. Great guy. Okay. And he could actually throw faster than I expected and was used to. Oh. So during warmups, I go, he, I'm playing tight end for some reason at 5'11". Yeah. So I go out to, to catch the ball. I get my hand up a little late and the point of the ball hits the front of my finger. Uh, yeah. And it looked like a Z. Oh, like yeah. his. Not good. Like Russell Wilson. And I think I sort of went into shock. Oh, you did. Because I'm talking kind of weird. Yeah. And my coach goes, let's get you down to the old Everett uh, hospital and have him take a look at it. And what'd they find? Well, after waiting in the waiting room for an hour and a half because yeah. I didn't have a hatchet sticking through my scalp, <laughs> I, I popped it. I popped it back in myself. Of course. And I was like, "Oh, that's that feels great." And then whoop, to a balloon. I mean, yeah. ten seconds later, it's huge. So I just dislocated it, and I you know. Did they X-ray it? Did yeah, they X-ray it? Surgically it, repair it? Splint. It was fine in a Which week. Which finger? It was my middle finger because so I went just to, like his. I turned around to catch the ball. And it left just, hand or right hand? Oh, left hand. Okay. Awful. Okay. Uh, so, yes. Yeah. It, it, it kind of freaked me out, though. The only one that I had, it was kind of gross, but it wasn't as gross as, as what you're describing. I think I've told you this story. Don't, don't ask me why I was trying to do this, but when I came back, I was a freshman in college, and I came back home, and I played in a, um, a reunion basketball game mm. at my high school where some of the uh, guys who had just graduated. So I came back. It was the Thanksgiving. It was actually it was actually a couple of weeks before the famous Bears-Dolphins Monday night football gotcha. game. 85. And I was playing in this thing Thanksgiving, and I don't, don't, uh, the guy was in a – there was a breakaway layup on the other team, and I, and I decided I was going to block his shot sure. from behind. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, it's that serious, right? <laughs> so, I, 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 so he went up for the layup. I tried to block it from behind. Our feet got tangled. Uh, I went into the wall, and I, I broke my wrist. Mm. And when I looked at my wrist, my, my hand was kind of going the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. So they took me to the hospital. and Were you freaked out by it like I was? Completely no? freaked out. Okay. I think I was in shock, too. They reset. They had to re-break my wrist and reset it. Yeah, it's worse They than put me. me in a cast, and I watched that Monday night game. I told you this story. I went to Sy- back to Syracuse. Yeah. And I was a freshman, and it was like December 2nd, 1985. I watched that game with a big cast on my hands. That's the only thing. And so Thursday night, the finger was going in the wrong direction, and you were there, so you probably didn't see a lot of it, I didn't, right? no. Right. I had to check text messages and Twitter see to find what happened. See what happened, yeah. yeah. So the first thing you think is, oh, they, maybe they'll just like you pop it right in, and we'll pretend like it never happened. Yeah, we'll just all, We'll all look the other way. Yep. Never happened. But it didn't work out for him, and so... He goes to California. He has pins. Everybody knows the story by now. And the whispers are that he wants to play against Green Bay. I did just see that. Did you see that? Targeted for Green Bay. He's targeting Green Bay. So here's the schedule coming up for people who don't know it. They play at Pittsburgh on Sunday night. And then they come home and play two games against the Saints here and the Jags here. And then they have a bye week. Okay. So those are the next four Sundays. By the time the Packers come here... The following week, that would be, I guess, kind of five, week is, five weeks-ish okay. from the time that he did it. That's when he says he's going to play. Wow. 
That's what he's telling people confident, confidentially. He's telling people, I want to play in that game. Like he's making the decision all by himself. Right. His finger has nothing to do with it. The healing process has nothing. Yeah. But he's superhuman. He, sure. he, he heals faster than the rest of us, so maybe he'll be able to play. That's what they're saying. But then I read, you know, six to eight weeks. Yeah. So that would be longer. I don't know. But I, do you find yourself kind of weirdly interested in this Sunday night's game to see what they look like without him for the first time. Not that I'm saying that I, I'm glad he's I know not what playing. You're saying. Yeah. Are you just kind of strangely curious about what that offense looks like with just some other quarterback running it or no? Well, I, I felt that way, and I could tell other fans felt that way Thursday. When, Gino when he came, came into in. the game. Yeah. And it was like, wow, he just kind of throws the ball down the field. Like, people were kind of like, oh, imagine well, that. He's, he's throwing the ball down the field to people, and... And he started getting the Geno chants, and it felt like, again, I don't want to suggest that people are excited Russell Wilson got hurt. That's not what we're saying at all. Just very curious to see what it looks like. I mean, he's been the quarterback since 2012. He has. Never missed a game. Right. Never missed, yeah, a series, So Geno comes in. You say down the field. You don't mean down the field because that's what... That's what Russell Wilson's weakness is. He always throws down the but field. But like a seven-year, like Disley caught a ball. Yeah, yeah. You know, Middle like, of the field. Exactly. Just intermediate passing That's game. What I'm talking right. About, yeah. Checking down. Look different. Now, now the sixty-four thousand dollar question is: He came in and he took him ninety-eight yards, which was un- almost unbelievable yep. against the Rams defense. The sixty-four thousand dollar question is: How legitimate were those drives? What kind of defense were the Rams in? Were they in a little bit of prevent? Were they giving up short stuff? Um, were they overly prepared for Russell Wilson's down the field passing game? So this guy comes in now and uh-huh. he's doing something different. He's taller. He's different. <clears throat> That's the question. The question is when the Pittsburgh Steelers or any other team now sit down and they prepare for Geno Smith, is he going to have any modicum of success against the Steelers and everybody else? That. And I am really, I don't know the, if you ask me the question, I don't know the answer. I am really, I may not be interested in seeing it in week two after I see what I (laughs) see in week one or week three or week four, but I'm truly very curious to see, and maybe it's because it's a, it's like the rubber neckers on the street. You look at an accident on the side of the road. I don't know. I'm I'm curious to see what the Seahawks offense is going to look like in Pittsburgh on Sunday night. The second one you said is going to annoy me if if that's the case. What is that? If the only reason he was able to to move Have the success. ball is because the Rams were preparing for Russell Wilson's long game, but why can't they just make that adjustment when Russell Wilson's in there? If that's the case, if teams are all of a sudden caught well, off that's guard, that's what people have been asking so for long. Badly, why won't he take what they give him? That's right. That, right. But that's been being asked that about Russell annoy- Wilson for years. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know the answer either. But I, I just I remember as a kid, kid, I don't know if I toy, but when they got Rick Meyer. Yeah, Rick Meyer's rookie year. Yes. He's running all over the place. They have no answer for this guy. He looked great. Right. And teams kind of figured it out. They caught on. A little bit. Yeah. So I'm wondering if we got really excited about the – well, actually, Geno's second drive wasn't too – it started out okay, I think, as well. He took him 98 yards in the first drive for a touchdown, and he took him 46 yards in the second drive for a field goal. They scored 10 points in his first two drives, and then in his third drive, he threw the interception after Tyler Lockett fell down, and the game was over. But they'll go up against a Pittsburgh team who's got 10 sacks in five weeks. That's it. So two sacks a game. They don't have a great pass rush, or they haven't had a great pass rush. Um, they're, they're, they're not great in the past defensive game. They are – a lot of quarterbacks have had really good games against them this year already. So they're, they're, they're okay. there to be had. Okay. And I, I tend to think that the answer about Geno and the offense is going to come down to the question of how – 
the the offensive line. I think if the off- if the Seattle Seahawks much maligned offensive line figures a way to up their game and protect him and do a pretty good job in the run game, maybe they get Carson back and they have a little bit of a run game. I I think I would bet I think I would bet on Geno having success and the offense having success hmm. if the offensive line does its job. If the offensive line is porous again, yeah. then I think it's going to be a disaster because I think what Russell Wilson Russell Wilson makes everybody a little bit better. I don't know that Geno Geno Smith's got that quality. It's why he's a backup. But I kind of feel like if they just put him in pretty decent situations, maybe no third and longs, maybe third and middles or third and mediums and shorts, and and the and the offensive line just does its job in Pittsburgh. I kind of feel like he's going to have success. I do. They still got good hmm. wide receivers. They still got good tight ends. Yeah. There's no reason why they can't move the ball with a backup quarterback if the offensive line does its job. What's the latest with Chris Carson? And were you bummed out when you saw he wasn't playing for some reason? Well, I didn't expect him to play. Okay. Because uh, I had been hearing all week that the neck was bad and it was touch and go. And you know those Thursday night games come up really fast yeah. after the Sunday game. So I, I wasn't. I was bummed, but I'm gotten used to it like everybody else. He just, you know, he's a very physical guy and he cannot get through a, a year healthy. Yep. And that's just comes along. They knew that when they signed him. I was happy they brought him back. I think when he's in there, he's fabulous. I'm, I'm a big Chris Carson fan. I'll just hope that he plays on Sunday night against the Steelers. So it's still up in the know. air. We don't, oh, no, yeah. It'll okay. be up in the air for the, for the good part of the week. Okay. Anyway. Um, but what I will say, again, before we put this whole thing to bed, and I know it was a long time ago, nobody is writing or saying that the Seahawks lost to the Rams on Thursday night because they lost their quarterback, because that had nothing to do with the reason why the sucks. As we just said, the backup quarterback came in and scored 10 yeah. points in two drives. So it had nothing to do. He played well enough. He played plenty well yeah. enough. And what did the defense do right after he took him 98 yards to get him back in the yeah. game and place was going crazy and you guys were chanting, Gino, yeah, Gino. Yeah, oh yeah. What, did the, what did the defense under the direction of Ken Norton do right then and there? Well, I said on Twitter that apparently the defense not quite as inspired by Gino as the fans are. <laughs> they didn't look as inspired for some reason. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Gave up a touchdown drive right away. Ken Norton's name was coming up all around my uh, head at that game, man. People are fed uh, up. And again, it may not be his fault. I, but when you're the when you're the, when you're in charge, yeah, it falls on you. Then again, let's see what happens defensively to this football team. You know, people have been writing about this for since longer than you and I have been alive. Which is when stars go out, something weird often happens with a basketball team or a baseball team. It's just, and, and there's no kind of way to describe it or articulate it except to say that people pick up their games. They realize it. The defense has to realize mm. right now. We got Geno Smith as our starting quarterback. Yeah. We can't be giving up stuff underneath. We can't be giving him 15 yards of, of cushion. We can't let him over the top. We can't give up seven and eight yards of carry. It'll it'll be interesting to see whether the Seahawks as a team pick up their game. Everybody does a little bit better and what what the reaction to this injury is on the field. Because they've, they've never faced this before. Which is the most annoying thing in the world also. Which is you say, why if they can do it, why, why don't they do it every week? If right? there's a switch to be flipped. That's right. That's right. Why are we waiting for Russell Wilson to get hurt to flip it? <laughs> Which just so you don't Wilson. want them to flip it. Well, because then you're going to say, why did they flip it with Russell Wilson? Of course Wilson? I want them to play well, but I will be thinking yeah. about that. Yeah. Why now? I mean, it happened last year where the second half defense was great. Yeah, there was. It was the same yeah. guys. Like, yeah. what's the difference? Yeah. Hey, have you talked at all about Jamal? Have you read about Jamal Adams? Like, oh, woo. just awful. Just an awful Thursday night. How about the fact that Jamal Adams... 
Uh, Pete Carroll says about Jamal Adams during the week that he's playing well. Yes. He's playing well. He's a very good football player, and I'm paraphrasing. I mean, he, he, went, out, he went overboard in his praise of Jamal Adams when the whole rest of the world thinks he sucks. Well, playing well is hardly praise, right? He's playing well. I mean, it's not— But he, is he playing well? Well, that's— Is he even playing close to well? How did he look on that, on that play where he's spinning around like a top and the ball is underthrown and the guy comes back and catches that ball? How did he look? My whole life I've heard announcers talk about, this guy's a real ball hawk. He really knows how to go after the ball. And it used to kind of annoy me. Like, they're in the NFL. They play DB. They all know how to get interceptions. They all know how to catch it. Like, right. you hear about, about Earl Thomas. All, oh, the guy's a ball right. hawk. Oh, right. he always gets after the ball, right. which he did. And I just thought they all could do that. Holy Supposed shit. to be able to. Turns out they can't all no. do it. <laughs> I mean, I just thought that was like the dumbest thing announcers could ever say. Oh, he really knows how to go after I guess they can't all do it. He looked lost on that long throw. But he spun around beautifully, and you know how I always say, maybe it's easier to be a fan of the ballet than football. At one point, I thought I was watching the ballet. I thought I was watching, like, Mikhail Baryshnikov. Yeah. Did you think that he, was going to be intercepted? It was very beautiful the way he did it. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. I mean, that was going to be, that should have been intercepted. Did you think that when it's hanging up there in the air? Well. I mean, forget, like. These underthrown balls, they have a knack of, of the receiver making the adjustment and the corner yeah. and the safety don't, and then you're in trouble. Whew. Yeah. It was, it was not a good night for Jamal Adams. Although his coach says he's playing very well, he's a very good football player yeah. and very impactful in our system. Somebody once said on this podcast that I don't know if we're getting the bang for our buck. It's, I think many people have said that now. Oh, yeah. now they have. Yeah. Okay, I might have said that three or four weeks ago. Oh, it was you that you're talking Maybe. about. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I may have, Is that before or after you found the wallet? I, I, I may have asked that question. Is he, is he, yes, you did. Is he an impactful player yes, you did. that you would expect for that kind of money? He hasn't been so far. Yeah. But again, you can read up on it if you'd like. They're not blitzing him at all. Hardly at all. And last year, they blitzed him over and over again. He came up with 10 sacks. But I've also said... So, so I, it's also the system. Maybe the system is not right. Maybe I, not playing him the right way. But I'm not interested in how well he blitzes. That, that's, not, that, that's not what I'm talking about. What are you interested in? Him playing safety and coming up with big interceptions and big hits well, and forcing fumbles and well, supporting that's not the his, run. That's never been his – well, supporting the run. I mean, that's but what that's never do. really been his game, though. Oh, okay. It's never really been his game. His game is playing near the line of scrimmage, yes, supporting the run, yeah. getting after the quarterback from the safety position, giving us some extra pass rush. He's never been a quality cover guy as a safety. He wasn't that in New York. He wasn't even that at LSU. I mean, He's never really been that. doesn't be a – a great cover guy just be in the area just be close take someone's head off make them make them have alligator arms like you know something make a play be impactful I, I'm not, somehow i'm not particular on how he makes an impact if it's sacks that's fine by me okay if it's knocking the quarterback's head off it's fine by me if it's darting into the backfield and getting the running back three yards behind yeah, the line of scrimmage that I like. it's fine by me okay it doesn't have to be uh, i don't feel like if you just lay him back and have him cover tight ends you're going to ever get your money's worth okay at that point you should have just let him go yeah. or trade him and, and get something for him anyway uh, episode 162 they'll play the steelers this um, this Sunday night, we've got three interviews coming up and a lot of other stuff to get to on this 162. Yes. We call it the Other Stuff segment, and we'll do that. And it's time for a check-in with CEO of Daniel's Broiler, my friend Lindsay Schwartz. Lindsay, how's everything at Daniel's, and how was the bourbon bash? 
You know, Mitch, it's great. We're getting busier every week at all the restaurants. The Bourbon Bash was awesome. We had over 100 people there having a great time, and it was just so nice to be able to host an event again after all this time and see people there and hope to do a bunch more in the future. Lindsay, where are we with staffing? That's always been a challenger and has been a challenge recently. Still some great positions available? Absolutely. As the restaurants continue to get busier, we need more and more people. So we're hiring at all positions, front and back of house, full-time, part-time, looking for good people. You can go to the website or you can actually visit the locations. And the downtown Seattle, Hyatt Regency, the bar area still open at Daniel's? Yeah, the bar is open. We're serving our bar menu that has a couple of great steaks on it. Uh, That's getting busier every week. More people are headed to downtown Seattle these days, and uh, we're excited to see it continue to get busier. Your best busboy at uh, at Bellevue, Max Levy, tells me that live piano music is returning to that location, which has been popular for you guys for years. He's absolutely right. And uh, Jim Washburn, who has been our piano player there for over 30 years, if you can believe that, uh, we say he's played Piano Man more times than Billy Joel. <laughs> he's awesome. I know a lot of listeners have loved him for a long time, and uh, he didn't get to, to perform for a year and a half, and now he's back. So Thursdays through Saturday nights from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m., come on in and say hi to Jim. And, Lindsay, you've added new mixers to the Amazon site. Explain that to me. Yeah, we talked about uh, the old-fashioned mixer that we launched on Amazon several months ago. It's been selling really, really well, and uh, we launched three new mixers this week, Whiskey Sour, a Kentucky Mule, and a Lavender Martini. So now we've got four mixers available on the Daniels Broiler storefront on the Amazon website. That is fantastic. There's a lot of forward momentum at Daniels Broiler. I love Daniels Broiler. Been a great partner since back in the radio days, and I'm very appreciative of that. Daniels Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. Well, it's the most talked about finger in Seattle sports history. Russell Wilson will miss games for the first time in his career. An orthopedic surgeon who specializes on hands. Gleb Medvedev joins us all the way from New Orleans to tell us his thoughts on what he saw on Thursday night and what faces Russell Wilson in recovery. Doc, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So it's a pretty bad injury. You know, looking at the video, you can obviously see some deformity in his finger where it's bent out of shape, uh, not like it should be. And, you know, just looking at that video itself, you can tell that the finger is bent at the tip. That's one injury. That's called a mallet finger. Mm -hmm. And typically what happens is the tendon that straightens it out tends to rupture right off of the bone. Now, healing for that tendon, even with surgery, uh, which, you know, in the standard population, we wouldn't really do. We would just kind of keep it straight, let it all heal in, takes about six to eight weeks. So with surgery, you do get a little bit of benefit to move it faster, which prevents some of that stiffness. But, you know, for taking another hit or playing with it unprotected, we're still looking at six to eight weeks for it to be strong enough uh, to play without something covering it. And that would affect throwing if he's got a splint or a little finger cast on it. Gleb, what's your reaction 
to hearing him say he wants to play in four weeks against the Green Bay Packers. And what, uh, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Why don't you tell us, you say that for the common man, we would not have surgery if we did what he did, but he's in a hurry to play again, so they put pins in his, in his finger. Can you tell us, to the best of your ability, without confusing us, what happened in that surgery, what they actually did? Well, so the most beneficial thing to him, honestly, would be, and it's possible that that tendon came off with a little piece of bone. And why that's beneficial, though, you know, breaking your finger uh, and rupturing that tendon sounds worse, that little piece of bone that tends to come off of the tendon actually heals faster and a little bit more reliably. So if we're looking at four to six weeks of potentially coming back to play, that might mean that he actually had a little fracture, so a little piece of bone break off, and that's what they repaired. So, you know, if they used pins, those pins still need to come out after about four to six weeks. Uh, If they used little screws or a plate, which we will occasionally do, then those just stay in and that'll give it a little bit more stability. So it really depends on what exactly happened during that surgery, but it's impossible to say unless we see some x-rays somehow. Well, the doctor's office said that they put pins in. Three pins. Yeah, and I saw the quote from Dr. Shin, the hand surgeon that performed it. Uh, They also actually mentioned a second injury, which is a fracture dislocation to that middle knuckle. That's the, it's called the PIP, the proximal interphalangeal joint. So he actually, uh, he was quoted as saying that he had two injuries, both the mallet finger and then that fracture dislocation of the middle knuckle. Now that actually complicates things a little bit more, but again, if it's just a little bit of bony healing that needs to happen, the idea is get him mobilizing sooner the better, you know, you're still fighting stiffness, but Russell Wilson's got the right genes to kind of push himself through it. And he's got the right staff around him to keep him going. So that finger is ready. I think four weeks is pretty optimistic because again, it's not solidly healed yet to take another hit like that. Uh, And playing with it protected in some sort of splint could definitely alter his throwing mechanics and ability to grasp the ball. So if they had three pins inserted, he would be immobilized in a cast for how long? Well, ideally, actually, we don't immobilize him at all. If those pins are doing the job of holding everything in place, then we would keep those patients moving Mm -hmm. or keep the athlete moving so that those knuckles don't stiffen up. Your finger tends to get stiff pretty rapidly, especially at that middle knuckle. And so those pins are actually helping because that would help to stabilize the bone while it heals and allow him to move each and every knuckle of the finger to prevent that stiffness, which could be a really tough battle down the line. If they take the pins out in a couple of weeks' time, he walks out of the doctor's office after the pins have been removed, and then what? And then it's really, you know, letting the bone heal until it's strong enough to play. Uh, That's really the timing of it. Typically, those pins will stay in for about four weeks. Again, it depends on how he's feeling, how the bone is healing on the x-rays, and how he does in terms of motion uh, for getting back to play. But I, I would imagine 
we're looking closer to the six-week mark from an injury like this. When you're looking at an x-ray, how do you determine, okay, it's healed enough now that he could take another hit on that hand? What, what is it exactly that you see in an x-ray that determines that? Or is it a little bit of a best guess? Sometimes it's a little bit of both. So typically for fingers, they tend to heal faster uh, than most of the other bones in terms of showing a little bit of new bone forming. And we call it bony callus. But basically you get some fuzzy bone forming around where that break used to be. And as that fills in, that tells us, okay, this thing is healing appropriately. It's probably strong enough now. But in terms of taking a hit, you know, the amount of force behind there, you're not really going to be totally confident until you're about three months out from that injury. Wow. So uh, your your best guess is six to eight weeks. It just sounds like that you think that uh, it's much too aggressive to think that he'd be playing NFL football four weeks from now against the Green Bay Packers. I, th- I think that would be a tough call uh, because it's much easier to undo everything you've done at four weeks than at six weeks. But again, if he's if he's thinking four weeks, that probably means that he's got mainly bony injuries and the healing time on that is a little bit better. So I think six weeks would probably be appropriate. And four weeks, if he can play with it protected, then great. And I think he'd probably be able to to make it out there or yeah. just yeah. really take it easy and be cautious about getting hit. Yeah. So at the end of the day, is he more likely to re-injure that finger than somebody who's never injured it before, let's say next year or two years from now? Is he in a more vulnerable position than a quarterback that's never had a finger injury? So ideally with bony injuries, no. That The strength of bone will get back pretty much to near normal after it's healed. The problem tends to be when you have a tendon injury and tendon never fully heals to 100%. It, it gets to you know, 85 to 95% of the strength, but it's never exactly the same as it was before. So he's actually better off if he's got bony injuries. He'll, he should be fine down the line. Yeah, but he has what they've already, they've determined and they've, they've made public that he's got a ruptured tendon. So if that tendon pulled off a piece of bone, yes, which tends to happen as well, yes, then, then it's that's better. just bone-to-bone healing, okay. which is okay. much nicer than okay. tendon-to-bone. Okay. So you're saying with the extensor tendon rupture that they're saying he has, if he had a little bit of a bone issue with that, that's better, even though it sounds worse to our ears. Correct. Okay. Correct. All right. Great. Dr. Gleb Medvedev joining us from New Orleans to tell us about this finger it feels like that Russell Wilson wants to be able to play in, uh, in four or five weeks against the Green Bay Packers. Whether he'll play again that soon remains to be seen. I guess maybe after listening to all this, we're betting against. Doc, thanks very, very much for joining us from New Orleans. Thank you. It was great being with you. If you've listened to Mitch Unfiltered, then you know. You know by now that Jordan Flowers and his squad has changed teams to cross-country mortgage, which means even better opportunities at your fingertips, and here he is, Jay Flo himself, Jordan Flowers. How are you, Jordan? Hey, I'm doing great, Mitch. Thank you so much. It's been a fun and active summer with this transition. I've talked to so many of your patrons and listeners that have followed us and been able to connect with us since we left, but uh, we are just learning so much more about this company than we even knew as far as products and what we're able to offer our clients and quick closings, and it's been phenomenal. Give us an example 
example, you and I were talking before we started to record. Give me an example of something that you can do now, a product that's at your fingertips now that wasn't there with the other guys. Yeah, uh, we have a construction to perm product that has really been hard to get just for anybody locally. Banks have backed out on true custom construction loans. Most independent mortgage bankers don't have it. And we have it here. And it's one of the best I've seen since the early 2000s. I was talking to the head of the construction department just yesterday on a $1.4 million deal in Montana. And there are some really fantastic, unique things about our product that really really make buying that lot and building that dream home a reality for people, including being able to finance in your payments during a construction so you don't ever have to make a payment during construction. It just gets accounted to the actual loan balance, as well as a lot of the issues tend to come down to draw requests with builders and getting their subcontractors paid quickly. Mm-hmm. We pay out based off the budgeted line item on the proposal versus having to submit invoices and receipts and then go through the process process of paying out. So a lot of great things here. And you roll straight into a permanent 30-year fixed in the three to three and a quarter range right now. So fantastic 30-year fix for it. And if you're just in the market to refinance and and get better numbers on your current 30-year fix, what are they? And why would people that are sitting around with 4% interest rates, why are they not making the call to you or somebody like you to explore their options? Well, if they're sitting in the high threes or above four, they've probably heard maybe I talked to your patrons too long, maybe, (laughs) who knows. But it's a fantastic time to refinance and rates are still in the mid to upper twos to low threes, depending on your situation. And it's a great time to tap into equity in the home if you've been putting off those home projects or you're wanting to go on a trip or invest or just have money ready to put into this crazy market. And I implore everybody to give me a call if you're thinking about refinancing mid threes or above, even low threes depending, and you want to shorten the term. Mm -hmm. It's just the time to do it. And the Fed came out and said that they're going to maybe start tapering here soon, which could have impact on mortgage-backed securities and interest rates. So it's the time to do it. Phone number. You can always reach me on the cell, 425-890-2957. That's uh, Jordan Flowers and his team now, the Kirkland office of Cross Country Mortgage, great partners of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Well, it was close. It was close. It came down to game 162 for the 2021 Seattle Mariners. Still kind of shocks me that they made it that far. And I bet it does to our next guest as well, former Mets GM and great voice of baseball with Sirius XM Stadium Sports, Steve Phillips. How are you, Steve? Mitch, I'm doing great. Good to be with you. It's great to have you back. I want to start with something that I don't think I've ever asked you about. Because it dawned on me when I was thinking about you and your run with the Mets that you had both John Olerud and Ricky Henderson in New York. Did you not? I did. I sure did. Okay. Have you heard the story? I don't know if it's true that when Ricky came here to Seattle and Olerud was already here, that apparently in the first or second day, uh, Ricky went up to Olerud, saw that he was wearing a helmet in the field, and he said something like, you know, I, I once played with a guy in New York. 
that wore a helmet while he was playing first base. Yeah, yeah. and 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 Olerud, and Olerud said something like, "Yeah, Ricky, that was me." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you buy that? <laughs> so I I know the story, and here's the here's the story. Yeah, is that when when Ricky we let Ricky go, and he ended up signing out in Seattle. Our trainer, uh, our head trainer Scott Lawrence, at the time, he actually came to me and he said, "Can you hear it now?" Ricky's going to go to Olerud. And, and so he played out the story in a, can you see it? This is what's going to happen. And then what happened is somebody else heard it. Somebody else heard it. Somebody else heard it. And it became part of the legend of Ricky Henderson because the reality is it was started as a story, but it very likely may have happened. That, like Ricky that Ricky didn't know anybody's name. He didn't know my name. He, ca he called me GM. Uh, and, and he also, he didn't, uh, he didn't know our hitting coach's name. When we changed hitting coaches, one of the writers went up to him and said, Hey, what did you think of Tom Robson? And he said, who? They said, Tom Robson. He said, who's that? He goes, the hitting coach he goes, Oh, was that his name? So yeah, Ricky, Ricky wasn't good with names. I guess we say that that's Ricky being Ricky. Is that the way that said? Oh, yeah. for sure. Yes. Yes. Uh, anyway, the last time you and I talked on this show, there were about 60 games or, or so to go, and you said to me, and I bought it, there was no way that this M's team was going to hold up and make it to the last day of the season. How'd they do it, Steve? Well, I guess I was right because they didn't make it to the playoffs, but man, <laughs> they tested me big time. I, look, I got to tell you what, I'm not exactly sure how they did it other than belief in themselves. You know, and there's something about that, that it doesn't matter what you think about what other people think about you. It matters what you think about yourself. That was one spring training. I handed out this picture to our players and put it on their stools in spring training. And it was that psych 101 picture <laughs> of, you know, some people see the old woman with a wart on her nose and uh -huh. some people see the pretty girl with a choker on her neck uh -huh. and a feather in her hat. Uh -huh. But it's the same picture. And my message was. Look, some people may see this, but it doesn't matter that that's what they see when they look at us. It only matters what we see. And I think for the Mariners, they believed in themselves when nobody else did. And, you know, they found ways to win games. And it's a really good trait for some young players. In the long run, they came up a little bit short. But no way anybody, maybe even including them, thought that they were going to go there. And even after the trade deadline, with all of the negativity around the deal with the Astros and the Astros in town and Kendrick Graveman going over, mm -hmm. Abraham Toro's not a bad little player, uh, I think Mariners fans found out. So, you know, it's they're, they're one of the best stories of the season. There's no question about it. Mm. The Blue Jays had the same record, essentially, maybe one, one better, with a gaudy run differential of like plus 183, Steve. And the M's finish, and it's been much talked about here. People, Mariners fans get tired of hearing about it. The Mariners finished negative 51, but yet 20 games over 500. So I guess the question to you is, what percentage of that is good fortune that likely won't ever happen again? Or, and what percentage of it is, well, they've learned the art of winning close games. They deserve some credit. Uh, I believe run differential does lead to, generally speaking, it's fairly well correlated to wins and losses, that you've got a pretty good idea about how your run differential and how much you outscore the opposition affects your record. And over 162 games, that generally plays out because right. you've got a pretty substantial sample size. The, the 2018, if you recall, 
the Mariners had 89 wins, and I think they had a negative 34 run differential. It was at the end of that season that Jerry Depoto took them apart, right? No Nelson Cruz, that you know, Cano trade. They, they, you know, he disassembled because he didn't believe that they were an 89-win team. Now, I think that so so that was his interpretation of, of the run differential versus the record back then. I don't think that, you know, it's apples to apples. I think this young team is up and coming. I think that the run differential does show that they had good luck and good timing with their winning, but they won a lot of close games. And that's a great trait for young kids to learn moving forward. But there's not always a real direct correlation between one run wins and playoffs. And so uh, I think that this is a different team that is heading in the upward direction where that 2018 team was heading in the downward direction. And so I think there's a lot to believe in with this team, but they're not good enough to compete right now because over a bigger sample size, that negative run differential will catch up with them. So how, how many players short are they at the moment? Everybody out here is talking about Marcus Simeon. If I hear it one more time, Marcus Simeon this, give him whatever he wants, get him here. You look at the rotation of the Mariners. Gonzalez is, is solid. Gilbert's on the rise. I think Flexen is solid. I don't know what to think of Kikuchi. He made the all-star team, but he was terrible after that. I think they're a, a starter, probably short. Maybe they're talking about Edward, Eduardo Escobar and Chris. I don't know if Chris Bryant has anything left as a free agent. How close do you think the Mariners are to taking that next step, Steve? Yeah, so I think they're pretty close. Uh, and and I think they have the ability, you know, everybody wants to get excited about the free agent market. And certainly that's preferable because you're not giving up any of your minor league talent. But they actually have the depth of minor league talent now to start to consider moving some of those guys in trades. Now, you know, because here's the thing, free agent players have choices. You know, they they don't have, even if you have put the most money on the table, they can say, you know what, I'd rather play here. Marcus Simeon's kids, three boys, live in, 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 the, in, in Oakland. You know, and yet he had a great season in Toronto. Toronto wants him back, and they've got money to spend right now. And so, and they've got $18 million line item that had Marcus Simeon's name on it last year. Right. Look, there's a lot of really good players out there. I think third base now they're going to have to figure out is Toro a third baseman or a second baseman? Uh, is I think DH is something they're going to have. I think that they could use an aircraft carrier bat. You know, a Nelson Cruz type guy would be a really important hitter for them. Mm -hmm. I think that 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 run producer that can get the job done, he'd be a great fit. Honestly, he would be back. a really good fit for Bring them. You've yeah. had him before. You yeah. know him. I think third base, but I think you definitely need another starting pitcher as well. But they're close. I'm curious, as a former GM, what you thought of how they closed, kind of closed the door with the farewell to Kyle Seeger. You probably saw that back east. I was, I, I thought it was wonderful, first of all. He's given a lot to Seattle. Seattle's given a lot to him. He's got one more year. It's a contract. It's a, it's a, it's an option year. They're clearly not going to pay him $20 million for next year. But there was some closure to that that I didn't really understand at this stage of the game. Maybe you don't have him back, but 35 home runs, 100 RBIs. Yeah, he, he struggled to hit 200. Why close the door now? Why not wait to see? What can we bring in? Um, what does he want? What does he get somewhere else? What if he comes to us and says, I made $100 million. My family's here. 
I'll sign a one year, uh, five, six million dollars and I'll pinch hit or I'll, you know, I'll play a different role. The whole bye bye Kyle thing, I, I didn't think the timing was right because we just don't know what's going to happen in the offseason. Yeah, it's really hard when a player has an option. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, that one, I wouldn't close the door on him at all because there is something about his leadership and personality that had value to that team. Right. Right. And if he's not back, that's that's a very important piece that has to be part of whatever they bring back in. They need to get some veteran leadership on the roster. And like, I love Mitch Haniger. He can be that kind of a guy. There's no question about it. But they need more than him. Now, Nelson Cruz could be that kind of guy. He's a real impact on young hitters. So I wouldn't have closed the door it's just awkward when a guy has an option. It's pretty clear you're not going to exercise the option, but I would not have closed the door on that. And so I, I'm with, I would have thought there was a gentler way to be able to say, we certainly hope that there's a chance for this conversation, but it sure felt like goodbye. Uh, and I wouldn't be shocked if Seager ends up in Toronto oh. adding a left-handed bat there, playing third base there. I think he'd be a good fit for the Blue Jays oh. if he doesn't stay in Seattle. Man. You and I discussed Jared Kalnick a couple times. The last time you and I were together, it was real struggle city. Now he came back and he still, it was still hit or miss with him. A lot of strikeouts, not a very big batting average, but in his last 58 at bats, Steve, in his last 17 games, he got 16 hits. He hit 276, modest, hit a bunch of home runs, bunch of doubles. I think he finished with something like 14 home runs and 337 at bats. It feels to me like this guy next year, given 600 at-bats, could hit 25 or 30 home runs pretty easy. Where are you on how it ended for Jared Kelnick? Yeah, I thought it was better. I, I, you know, I think that going down and coming back up, he had better at-bats. There's no question about that. He had a better approach at the plate. Uh, you know, I think in the long run, it might have been the best thing that happened to him. Uh, you know, he was real confident, and I and and. To the point that it was a lot of Too maybe much. overconfident. Okay. Uh, and, you know, and so baseball has a way of humbling those that that as soon as you think you've figured it out, as soon as you think you're great, man, this game will take you to your knees. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it wasn't the worst thing for him to experience that, to maybe understand that nothing is going to be given to him. There are no scholarships. Nothing comes easy. You're going to have to grind it out. And I think he took to that. I give him credit. I think he handled it. It's not easy swallowing your pride when you you were a big shot, right? And so you go back down and you, you're humbled, you're embarrassed a little bit. But I think that that next year is going to be a really good season for him. And there's no shame in struggling when you first get to the major league. Define good season. Define yeah, good season. I think, I think he could be a 25-homer guy. Look, I think at some point he's a 30-homer guy, 35-homer guy. I think he's got that kind of a talent. Okay. I think he can steal 20 bases okay. uh, and, and make that part of his game. And so, I, you know, and I think he's a 270 hitter. But in, you know, the on base is the more important thing. And a 340, 350 on base is not, un, not impossible for him. I know that beca because he struggled early, he wants to prove he can hit by swinging the bat. Sometimes young hitters have to prove they can hit by taking pitches. Mm -hmm. You know, take the pitch because if the, if you can't hit the high fastball, don't try to figure out how to hit it. Just take it until you have to swing at it and wait for that next pitch that's better in a zone where you can handle it. Okay. Logan Gilbert, where are you Love on him? 4.68 ERA, 128 strikeouts in 119 innings. He struggled there for about a six or seven 
start stretch late in the season. We came on a little bit at the end. Where are you on at number one, number two? Is he a number two starter? Where where is he? Yeah, I book? mean, I think he's. I project. I would project him out to be a number two. But I, you know, if he's the best starter on your staff, you can get to the playoffs. You can win in the playoffs. Okay. And so, you know, is he going to be that guy who's consistently in the strike zone? Is going to take it into the seventh inning? Continue to work his way through it. I think he's got a chance to be that guy, but he's going to be a front end of the rotation starter. Love the competitiveness and love the adjustments and adaptability that when there are some struggles to find your way through it and figure out who you are and what you can do. Because what's going to happen is the league figures you out. Like if this is what you're doing, then they're going to start to look for that. We see it in every game now where interdivision, you're playing somebody 19 times. There aren't any secrets. I mean, they know all, they know where your wrinkles are, your, your, you know, they know everything about you. And so you've got to find ways to counteract that. And I, I think he really showed that ability. Okay, let's end with this. I'm being called an old fogey in Seattle, and I don't feel like an old fogey, but uh, my stance on moving runners over late in games, I got to get you on this. I think you and I probably have spoken about this before. The Mariners lost a crucial game down the stretch on that Friday night, the last weekend of the series. Uh, season rather they had a guy on second they were down one uh, in the bottom of the ninth they needed the one run they had a guy on second with nobody out they needed that one run to to, to go to extra innings in front of 47,000 the place was packed and rather than move him over which is what you and I would have done 25 years ago they decided to take a shot three shots at getting a hit now, that doesn't equate to me because it's a 220 hitting baseball team. They were 32nd in the league in batting average. So a, a 220 batting average team is essentially betting on going one for three, right? 333. They got to go 333 to get them in with a hit, or they sacrifice them over and maybe they can get them in on a sack fight without even having to get a hit. But that's not the way service played it. That's not the way anybody plays it anymore in Major League Baseball. And tell me why I'm nuts. Maybe I'm just old school on this, Steve. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I mean, that's why there's so many strikeouts in the game today because teams start out every inning thinking our best way to put up a, a, a run on the scoreboard is by having three guys try to hit a solo home run instead of trying to get three singles in the inning. Uh, and so that's why you see guys with launch angle trying to swing for the fences. I think it's circumstantial. So I'm, I'm with you that a lot depends upon my lineup. A lot depends on who I have going in there. And, and if it's a guy that doesn't hit for a high average, but he, he also doesn't handle the bat well and he's not going to successfully bunt, then I'm probably not going to bunt him. But I do think there's still a place to advance the runner with a productive out rather than trying to swing for the fences. A lot depends upon the pitcher. A lot depends upon you know the matchup. But but you can't rule it out. And so, and I think many times in the game today, people say, well, the numbers say that this is what you should do. Just let them swing away. When I think it becomes circumstantial and dependent upon the pitcher, the hitter, the circumstance, the inning, and all of that. Uh, and if you're the home team, that's what I was play it ask. to tie. Yes. Right? Yes. Play it to tie. You don't have to play it to win, but take advantage of that opportunity. Okay. That's my, that was going to be my last question. They used to say 25 years ago that when you're at home, you play to tie, and when you're on the road in Major League Baseball, you play to win because extra innings, it just feels like, is a distinct advantage for the home club. That's still the case, you're saying? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Steve Phillips, 
You're always kind to Mitch Unfiltered. It's great to see you through Zoom. It's great to have you back on the show, and I can't wait to talk. Oh, before you go, I know that it's kind of weird with podcasts, and by the time they listen to this, there's going to be games. But just tell us who's going to win the thing so we don't have to watch anymore. Who's going to win? Yeah. Who's going to win the World Series, and who are they going to beat? Just tell it's us. It's going to be Astros and Dodgers, uh, and so a rematch of Astros and Dodgers okay. in the World Series. No garbage cans involved, and the Houston Astros are going to win the World Series. The Houston Astros are going to win. Steve Phillips, thanks very much, Steve. Great to see you again. Thanks very much. See ya. So here I am having a good week, feeling all great about myself, and then here she comes. There's no better person to remind me of my limitations than Katie Versio, senior financial planner of our partner at Evergreen GovCal. Hi, Katie. Hi, Mitch. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for being back. Three questions more, and the theme today is... Tax reform. So this is a big hot topic in the news this year. The House just a few weeks ago recently released updates to their proposed legislation. And this is especially relevant for us. In 2020, Evergreen acquired a tax firm. Mm -hmm. So with the help of Evergreen Sterling Cooter, we put together a few questions. Yes, I knew that. I knew about the acquisition of the tax firm. Let's go. Question number one. I'd like to hit one out of the ballpark. One of these days. All, Go ahead. All right. So the first question, the proposed maximum tax rate is increasing to 39.6% starting at $400,000 for individuals or $450,000 for married couples. What's the current maximum tax rate? Is it 30%, 32%, 37% or 38%? Well, it's not 30. It's either 32 or 37. I'll say 32%. Oh, you sh it was actually 37%. In this proposal, it would go from 37 to 39.6. Okay. Got it. So it's up 2.6% in the highest bracket. Question number two. All right. This, this might be one for you. This is true or false. Oh. <laughs> so this proposal repeals 1031 real estate exchanges, which allows you to sell investment real estate and defer capital gains tax by rolling it into another property. Is that true or false? Sounds true to me. It's actually false. Oh. Yes, it was uh, in the original proposal. They were recommending repealing it, but it is not in this version. So holders of investment real estate can hold a sigh of relief. Okay. I'm 0 for 2. I've got one last shot to get off the schneid and at least hit 333. Go ahead, Katie Versio. Okay, so this proposal recommends increasing the top capital gains rate from 20 to 25%. What is the starting date for this increase under this proposal? So is it starting January 1st, 2021? So going all the way back to the beginning of the year. April 30th, 2021. September 13th, 2021, or January 1st, 2022? September 13th is just too <laughs> obscure of a date for you to throw at me. Where would you come up unless it's your birthday or something? I'm going I'm going September 13th. I'm trying to read you, Katie. All right, well, you got that one. You read me pretty well. <laughs> yes, so that was actually the date that the House released this updated legislation. So... Any gains that are incurred after that date will be effective at the new rate. That's fantastic. All right, I went one for three. And how do we find out some information if we want to know more about the tax firm that you guys acquired several months back? Yes. So anyone interested can reach out to me directly at my email, kvercio at evergreengovcal.com or 
Visit our website at evergreengk.com. And GovCall is G-A-V-E-K-A-L. Evergreen GovCall is everything wealth. Unfiltered. Ah, Taco Time Northwest presents our weekly chat with Rick Neuheisel. Everybody's giggling right now. 15-minute virtual interviews is all it takes. Family-owned company looking for good men and women who enjoy working, not to mention great compensation packages, signing bonuses, perks, tacotimenorthwest.com slash careers. Mr. Neuheisel, am I on candid camera? Just tell me, am I getting punked? Is this some sort of an elaborate prank? Explain this to me, please. I have you ever heard the term ice cold? (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't hit a bull in the backside with a banjo right now. I am, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, but I am not giving up, Mitch. I I refuse to give up. Okay. I hope not because it's not good right now. BYU joins <laughs> NC State, Iowa State, Oklahoma, Georgia. I don't know if I challenged you to go 0 for 5. That I guess it's as hard as going 5 and 0. You would never be able to go 0 for 5 if you were trying, but you, you've somehow accomplished the feat. Um, I, I will tell you that I asked you last week if we might be able to just stay in a game. Well, I'm not sure we stayed in this one, but <laughs> when, I, when, when I turned it on in the middle of two of my son's basketball games, I'll have you know that BYU was not only leading 10 nothing with about four minutes to go in the first quarter, and I was feeling great, but the announcer even went as far as saying, with Boise State's offense going on on the field, you know, it's not too early in the game to say that this is a crucial series for Boise State. They've got to do something. Otherwise, th- they might get blown right out of the building. And I was like, yes, that's what we want, blown out of the building. But but no, it turned it turned around the other way, and Boise State handed BYU its uh, its first loss of the year. Speaking of first losses of the year, Rick, Alabama, no one saw that coming. How did the how did Nick Saban's crew lose to Texas A and M? Well, a combination of things, Mitch, uh, and I'm really sorry about the BYU tip. <laughs> uh, a you know, listen. Nick Saban said before the game it was a trap game because they were emotionally ready to play Lane Kiffin's Ole Miss Rebels last week in Tuscaloosa. And also going into Texas A&M with Texas A&M kind of licking their wounds, having been beaten two weeks in a row by Arkansas and Mississippi State. Zach Calzada, the backup quarterback, looked kind of pedestrian, a 60%, maybe a little hair underneath that passer. And yet Jimbo Fisher somehow, some way hobbled together an offense that had Calzada 15 of 16 at one point. He would end up the night 21 of 31 with three touchdown passes. And they absolutely played a perfect game. And Alabama, you know, had some self-inflicted wounds. They, they uh, had a kick return against them. They threw an interception uh, when the ball was first and goal at the three-yard line. I mean, they did some things that uh, are very un-Alabama-like. Yeah. And so Nick Saban says you have to appreciate how hard it is to win. And sometimes when you get on a run like Alabama's been on, it's difficult to do that, especially as young people. 
and now they have to figure out and appreciate what it is to lose and what they're going to do about it. Is there any scenario, Rick, where Alabama loses one more game and still finds its way with two losses into the Final Four? Uh, I'm, I'm sure there is. I, I mean, if they could get to Atlanta and play for the SEC championship as a two-loss team and then beat Georgia yeah. as an undefeated team, yeah. then you could see where they would do that. Okay. I don't know how they get to Atlanta with two losses, uh, but certainly Alabama, because the world knows who they are and who Nick Saban is, the committee will say, you know, have you seen them? They, they could do it, but but the more likely scenario is they get to Atlanta and they dispatch of Georgia, who has looked really good thus far. Who would be the favorite team in Vegas if those two teams played on a neutral field tomorrow? I would still take Alabama. Really? And I would do so because I think they have the more explosive offense. Certainly, you won't be worried about their preparation. You won't be worried about their state of mind in anticipation of playing Georgia, who's now the new number one. Uh, you would think that they'd be at their level best emotionally and mentally, and I think they're more explosive offensively. Jamison Williams, the kid that transferred there from uh, Ohio State, has been unbelievable. He had a brilliant game uh, this last Saturday, and, and I, I, it won't shock me at all if Alabama does get a chance to have a date with Georgia, that they beat them again. Silly question for Rick Neuheisel brought to you by Taco Time, but I know I'm known for silly questions. And frankly, I don't care if I ask silly questions to Neuheisel anymore because he owes me. At uh, 0 5. <laughs> <laughs> silly question. If the season ended today, which it doesn't and it's stupid to even talk about, who would Neuheisel's final four be? Georgia would be number one. And then you'd have to choose three teams from Iowa, Oklahoma, Cincinnati, Michigan, uh, Alabama, and Ohio State with one losses. Who would round out the top four today with with Georgia? And 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 I'm going to answer that in two ways okay. because this is the problem we've given the committee. We're tell we're telling the committee, you know, out of one side of our mouth to say find us the best four teams. Yes. And then we all kind of sit and remember how we grew up that the best four teams are the ones that earn it and, and, and win the games on the field, not necessarily just because they have the best players. So I can answer that as the, I would still have Alabama in as one of the best four teams. I think Alabama and Cincinnati, if they played, we'd give Alabama a 10 to 12 point favorite. But Cincinnati has earned it. So on the other side of that of that same question, I can say the Bearcats deserve to be in. So too does Iowa, even though I think their offense is pedestrian. I mean, those are the kind of things that are going to be really complicated for the committee, but in some ways makes it that much more intriguing as we mm. go forward. Mm. Do you like Arkansas going for two at the end of the game against Ole Miss, or would you have kicked the – the PAT and gone to overtime. I think uh, Sam Pittman, he, he, he said after the game that he was going to do it. He told his team, we're going to do it if we get a chance to do it. And so he had to back up what he had said. I think he realized that offense was going to be hard to corral. Now his defense uh, was, or, or, or Sam Pittman's defense was struggling, but his uh, offense 
was also going through Ole Miss like, you know, a hot knife through butter. So, you know, it's I, I like it, but you better have a damn good play, Mitch. Yeah. And that play was ridiculous. Yeah. The running back is out there in the flat, and he's never looking for the ball. It's as if he doesn't know I'm actually a receiver on this play. And without him being a receiver on the play, it's the most ridiculous call in the history of two-point plays. So he, he, in the aftermath, said, hey, I love the call. The call might have been fine, but the execution was deplorable. Do you know what your two-point play is going to be before the game starts, or do you decide that as you go looking at what the defense presents it? Both. Both. You have a list of, you know, that what we call the black zone when you get down inside the 10 and inside the 5, and you have some two-point plays, some favorites, right? Mm-hmm. That, that money down where it's the win or loss, and sometimes you'd like to save that for the two-point play, but sometimes the touchdown on the three-yard line is more critical than the two-point play, so you may have already exhausted that. But you better have an inventory. One of the things I loved about coaching in the Alliance of American Football was you couldn't go, couldn't kick an extra point. Right. So, so we decision. had an inventory of two-point plays, yeah. and I think if you go back and look at it, you'll find that the Arizona Hotshots had the highest percentage <laughs> of two-point plays. As opposed to being having the highest percentage of accurate choices on on Saturday <laughs> afternoon. Well, uh, if you're going to choose between the two, Mitch, I'm going to take what I what I accomplished. <laughs> By the way, did you say hard to corral on purpose when talking about the Ole Miss offense, or was that an unintended pun? Hard to corral. Hard to corral, corral. I mean, okay. doesn't right. everybody understand that? Okay. Absolutely okay. intended. Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma. What a game. Oklahoma and Texas. Oh, my. First of all. Yeah, go ahead. First of all, before you get to the question. Yeah. Did you see, did you see Steve Sarkeesian's yes. outfit before oh, yes. the game? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to be donning the striped pants? Uh, I just want to – I have to know. They look like I, – I, I, they reminded me of the old Zubas. Do you remember the old Zubas from uh, 25 years ago? I had Dolphins Zubas on. I was going to say, if you wore Dolphin shorts, <laughs> then you probably wore Zubas. <laughs> oh, Lincoln Riley. Oh, that, was, Lin- that was a fashion statement I'm unwilling to make. Okay. Lincoln Riley – taking the preseason Heisman favorite. I don't think there was any bigger favorite on the board for the Heisman before the season started than Spencer Rattler. And benching him, I think for the second year in a row in that particular game, and he comes out smelling like a rose, and now he's got a decision to make, and he says, I'm not prepared to name a starter for the, uh, for the game against TCU. How do, you figure that, uh, how do you figure that we got here with Spencer Rattler? Spencer Rattler was a highly highly recruited kid he's got all sorts of you know great stuff about him it's like the kid that i just watched play for auburn and i'm actually going to be on the call again as auburn travels to arkansas this week uh bo nix they're great players but they they at times forget how to play catch Mm. they want to throw the ball hard they want to throw the ball you know fancy they want to make big plays they want to be flamboyant the job of the quarterback is to play catch with a guy wearing the same colored uniform. That's the job. Just get it in his hands and let him make a play. And these two guys sometimes try to make the easy complicated. Mm. So Caleb Williams goes in the game 
just like T.J. Finley went in the game against Georgia State for Auburn, and they win. And then all of a sudden, Brian Harson for Auburn says, no, Bo, you get to go back in. So we're not sure about the mindset of T.J. Finley. And if, he, if uh, Lincoln Riley puts Spencer Rattler back in, we're not going to be sure about the mindset of Caleb Williams, who was brilliant. So to me, it's an easy choice. It's like any other position on the team, and I know it's not every other position on the team, but Lincoln Riley as an old quarterback, he didn't play much. He was a walk-on. And Brian Harson as an old quarterback at Boise State, and Rick Neuheisel as an old quarterback, knows that you can coach that position as hard as you need to. You tell those guys, this guy's playing better, and you better be ready when I'm coming back mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. Caleb Williams should, should be the starter for Oklahoma. Put your hands over the records and tell me who the best three teams in order are in the Big Ten, Rick. I am going to say Ohio State's still the best team. I think Michigan is number two, and I think Iowa is number three. Okay. Which brings me, as I put my crash helmet on, to week six picks. <laughs> now, oh boy. I'm picturing you with your crash helmet Oh. <laughs> I'm 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 considering I have one for you this week. I, I'm consider I I'm considering putting my head between my legs and assuming the crash position. But go ahead, lay it on me. Lay on a week six pick and let's get off the schneid already, okay? We're putting you we're inserting you in the cannon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you're gonna be shot across the sound. Okay. Listen, we're gonna go with uh we're gonna go with Florida. Florida's traveling to LSU. There is a crisis happening in the bayou. Uh, they're without a compass. Ed Ogeron, as much as I like him, is struggling to figure out. His answer is always going to be, we're going to get simpler. Simpler doesn't solve the problem of not being able to run the ball. And I think Dan Mullen uh, knows there's very little margin for error, given that he's already experienced two losses. He has to play well. I'm going to take the Florida Gators, give the points, in the bayou against uh, the Tigers of LSU. Now, Rick Neuheisel, I'm looking at the game. Florida is handing LSU double-digit, 10 points. Did you see where this line opened? No. It was like three, and it's gone to 10. Okay, but... Because I... I, Yeah, I'm just telling you, I'm laying them. You're laying the 10. I'm laying the 10. You're laying the 10, which really means I'm laying the 10. <laughs> I'm laying the 10. Which means you're laying the 10. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm laying the 10. So And tell your children as we're getting closer to winter <laughs> to start, you know, gathering fruits and nuts, <laughs> getting things close to the family as we get closer to the holidays. I don't want anybody to go hungry. <laughs> I, uh, I had a decision to make. I sent out on Twitter – the other night, cup of noodles or macaroni and cheese from Kraft. <laughs> and uh. don't say both. I saw it. <laughs> and don't say both. Because <laughs> one has to be the next night. Uh, I get it. I get it. Okay. Rick Neuheisel, travel home safe. We will put some money on the Florida Gators on the road. 9 a.m. Pacific time on Saturday. We're going to have to drop 10 points. The, uh, the total is 59. I'm taking the Gators over LSU, and we will speak to you next week on Mitch Unfiltered. Can't wait, buddy. See ya. Hey, let's catch up with Dan Black, the president of Zeke's Pizza. Dan, what's this I'm hearing about boys' trips to Wrigley Field, Soldier Field, the big house at uh, Ann Arbor? What happened? 
Yep, I'm doing my homework for you this fall, Mitch. I did a bunch of sports stuff. I went to yeah, I went to Wrigley, saw the Cardinals play the Cubs, saw Notre Dame, Wisconsin, and Soldier Field in Chicago. That was cool, but the big house was a treat too. Went and saw the Huskies play. News for you: Huskies aren't very good. Uh, that's what your listeners are here for: is a bunch of Captain Obvious sports analysis from the pizza guy. Yeah. What was the best fan experience of the three? The Big House was really cool. I had been to Wrigley Field and Soldier Field before, and so the Big House was new, and it, it lived up to the billing for sure. Fall means football season. Tell me about the Black family go-to order. Does it change in the fall? Yeah, you know, we, we get a lot of pizza delivered this time of year for football games, like most people, and we, we do the Zeke's football pies. We do Legion of Shroom and Beast Mode. They're both really good. Nice. And how about a beer? that you've been downing recently. Yeah, you know, it's fresh hop season, and we've talked about those before, so they're harvesting hops down in Yakima this time of year, and so a lot of the brewers do fresh hop, particularly IPAs, and we got fresh hop versions of two of the famous Zeke's beers going right now, so I've been ordering Zeke and Destroy and Lateral A. Both are really good. Nice. Download the Zeke's Pizza app. The Levy family's been using the heck out of the Zeke's Pizza app lately, and get some fresh pizza, some great beers, some salads delivered right to your door. Zeke's Pizza continues to be a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Episode 162, Hotshot Scott. This is the other stuff section. Would you like a quick Zodiac Killer update? Because I could possibly be wrong from what I said last podcast episode on the patron show. Trying right. to remember who the Zodiac Killer... Uh, we're not talking about the guy that the bounty hunter found. Or the uh, doggy bounty. Or, oh, my Lord. Bounty this doggy. Is, this is Tuesdays with Maury. Okay. Um, yes. No, Zodiac Killer was... <laughs> was that the name of it? Tuesdays with... Uh, yeah, Mitch Alba. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mitch, by the way. Yeah. So I, I said that they've identified who the Zodiac Killer was. Yes, they said it's California. California. Yeah, they said it was this guy named Gary Francis Post who died in 2018, but right. the FBI and the San Francisco Police Department have declined to, to directly comment on the announcement, and the investigation's still open, and one Zodiac expert, Tom Voigt, said, this is all hot garbage, and he's been investigating this case for 25 years. So don't come to me to find out who the Zodiac Killer is. I'm not. Because there's two different camps. Nobody seems but to know. But your guy found the other guy. So go ahead and segue right in and explain <laughs> to me because right. I'm not following it. Your guy that you've been talking about that you're disgusted that I don't know who he is. Dog, Doggy yes. Bounty. What is his name? Dog the Bounty Hunter. Dog the Bounty Hunter. Yes. You you were putting your money on that he's going to go find. Who was he looking for again? Now I'm, 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 I'm confused. Was Laundry. Looking, uh, was it Brian? Oh, yeah. Yes. Brian Laundry. Yes. The girl disappeared and then was found dead, right? Yeah. Yes. He found him. Did you click the link? Yeah, I think I did, yeah. You didn't. Yes, I did. He found him. He found something. Oh, he didn't find him? No, it was a complete hoax. <laughs> I was trying to get you. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to get So he has oh. not found him. Oh, I thought you sent me a link of, to, that he found him. It was, he, a, it was a fake headline to get oh. you to click it and to, to trick you. Oh, and what would I have found if I clicked it? What was it going to be? Well, be? you would have found a, uh, somebody in their birthday suit. <laughs> was it, who? Somebody I know? No. Well, n nobody you know. Yes. But a guy who's sort of taken over as the biggest meme of the quarantine. And that's what that last text was about that I didn't understand. Yeah. Okay. It's because I didn't click the link. Well, okay. That would help. 
Well, I mean, how much how much more information do I need than the than the picture of it that he found the guy? But you don't want to know how he did it. If no, in fact I don't he give did a it. shit. I just I just want to know that he found him. <laughs> okay, well, I no. didn't need to know anything more, so <laughs> no. I didn't click it. And then you came back with another text that made no sense about a meme and something we shouldn't talk about. And, oh yeah, yeah. And I, I didn't just, understand it. Okay. I felt like there was something missing. So now I get now it. Now you get it. I yes, get it. That's yes. what it would have been had I clicked that particular. It was a different story altogether. Yes, it was. You're a really hoax. confusing me. Yeah, that's not good. But if you click the link, it wouldn't have been confusing, I don't think. But why do I need to click the link I don't if know. You're, making, you're making an announcement that Doggy the Bounty Hunter got, got <laughs> the guy, that he found the guy? Doggy. How, okay. By the way, my, my daughter and I watched like 15 episodes over the weekend. Of, it's not appropriate for kids, this show, really. <laughs> but the wife was out <laughs> of town with some friends. Anyway, yeah. yeah, we watched it anyway. It's, yeah. It was a great show. I love it. Yeah. All right, another somewhat high-profile person, Hotshot, quits Twitter. Have you ever thought about quitting Twitter? I did for a year. One year? One year. Yep. I just, and how was that for you? Kind of awesome. So why'd you come back? Um, I think, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I missed it. And then I started doing this and I should probably have one. I, I don't know. You came back when you started doing this? It was, I think it was before that. Yeah, maybe. It, I don't know. I just, you I, quit. Oh, wait. I could, it was uh, 2016 to 17. When, when did I start here? Anyway, I, it was, it was kind of nice and I wish I could quit Twitter. But I think I should probably have one because of this podcast. And why did you want to quit? Well, it was, was it something? Was it one thing, or was it like yeah. a compilation of a lot of things? No, it, it was um, when Trump got elected. Yeah, and the the fighting on Facebook and right. Twitter. Yeah, and like my sister voted for Gary Johnson, a third party guy, and they're yelling at her because she's right. responsible. And right. I just said, who who needs it? Okay, I didn't have a I, I didn't need to and have that was it for a year. You wrote Facebook it off for and a year. Twitter blew them both out for a year exactly, okay. and then I think I probably just okay. missed it. Yeah. Okay. Who quit? Shelly Meyer. Do you know who Shelly Meyer is? I'm oh. Sniffing. I have a guess. Take a guess. Probably not the 1978 Halloween murderer, Michael Myers' sister or anything. No. It's probably the wife of the kicker, Jason Meyer. Well, Jason Myers is the oh, kicker. Oh, Myers. So I think that the wife would probably have oh. the same last name if it was that, that close. Shelly Meyer? Shelly Meyer, not Myers. Oh, no, I don't know. She is the wife of Urban Meyer, the head coach of the Jacksonville Jack. What are you looking at me like I, that for? What did I, I do wrong? I, I read that did story. Did I do something wrong? I read that story and I should have got it. Yep. She writes in her last Twitter post, frankly, I don't need the hate, the vitriol, the slander, the trash. This has never stopped. We all make mistakes. We are all sinners. If you think you aren't, then cast the first stone. She concluded her message by saying to my wonderful followers and friends, thank you for your love, support, friendship, laughs. I will miss this the most. I love you all and wish God's blessings to you. Thank you, Faith, Family, Football, and Flamingos. And with that... Shelly Meyer, Urban Meyer's wife, is done with Twitter. I would ask her, is this your first day on Twitter? <laughs> it's, all, it's been trashed forever. Where the, where the hell have you been? Oh. Yeah, I mean, so, she, so if people don't know, he was caught dancing with that blonde at the bar. And right. She kind of defended him. She and, defended him. She yeah. said, I was with the grandkids. He needed a, a, a night out and yeah. whatever. And I guess people started getting on her, so she's quit Twitter. All right. Well. And, and furthermore, the woman... Can you picture the woman who was dancing on his lap, the blonde-haired yeah. gal yeah, yeah. in her 20s? You can picture It was the her? side of her face, though. You can't really see her whole face. That's but. a good point. I'm glad that you raised that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Because her mother, the okay. dan well, let's call her the dancer. The dancer's mother says, my daughter has been ruined, oh. and I'm really, I'm really worried for her mental state. She can't go anywhere. It's ruining her life. That's what's happening. I'm worried for her emotional status right now. This is the the young the youngish girl's mother who was yeah. dancing on Urban Meyer's lap, yeah. right? And I'm saying to myself, she can't go anywhere. 
I've watched that video like 5,000 times. Yeah. I, I wouldn't, would you reckon, if she walked into this house right now and slapped you across the kisser, would you, would you say, oh, that's the girl from the Urban Meyer video? Let's see, a pretty blonde five foot five girl? Yeah. You don't know exactly. I mean, <laughs> I know. I mean, no, I would not recognize her. How is she her. being recognized <laughs> everywhere know. she goes? Yeah. That's got to be bullshit. Not that I'm, you know, I'm a little bit cynical about that. Uh, she also says that the marketing company, this is the mother speaking, the marketing company where the girl, her daughter works, reportedly is also launching an internal investigation to determine whether the video had any impact on her workplace. Jeez. So she now might lose her job because she happened to be in a video with Urban Meyer. How dare she dance at a bar? Yes. In front of yes. another person? Yes. Can we stop firing everybody? I've been saying <laughs> it for how long now? Leave people alone. Let them work. My God. I'm just telling you. Yeah. Do we need to get into the John Gruden stuff or no? I mean, I, I, it feels like old news because it literally happened the day after you and I talked, I think. Man, or it's, that been, Friday. it's been a big story. Yeah. Do you get the feeling he's, gonna, he's not going to lose his job over this, right? I don't know. Didn't you tell me the story about Jimmy Johnson and a player falling asleep and, and it was a rookie who fell asleep in a meeting? And yes. what would you do if Emmett fell, fell asleep? Yeah. And he'd say, Emmett, wake up. Yes. I guess you have to, that kind of factors in. I mean, John Gruden's a big deal, right? I mean, so they're going to let him get away with this. I, I think he would have probably already fired. Yeah. I think it would have already yeah. happened, right? Yeah. Does it unless the, the swelling of antagonism and outrage, like publicly and through social media, continues to get to, to ramp up to where they have no other choice? I would I would suspect that had he was he, if he was going to be fired, it would already have happened. And maybe that's yes. kind of, that maybe that's what they're waiting for because the team said they're currently in the process of investigating. Right. right. So maybe they're going to wait to see is this going to blow over? It was. It doesn't make it right, but it was 11 years ago. He could be a different guy, hopefully now, you know. Right. So right. I don't know. It's um. Yeah. How do you feel about that? It's just you're, you're one. You're you're one who's always been consistent about. Come on, if we go back into everybody's past and yeah. look at every email and every text, and we talk about what everybody said to everybody else in their life, you're going to find something wrong with everybody, yeah. right? The people you're kind that, of feeling that way. The people that they, they go back and do that. But that being said, I, I'm just so surprised that would come out of his mouth. Of all the people, right? Who's been around? Well, yeah. Does he ever work with African American people all the in time. his life? All the time. Like, I mean, really? Yeah. You would you would send that in an email? Yeah. Even if you had the thought, yeah. John, you would want that on paper, you know, in quotes yeah. forever. Yeah. I'm so surprised he would send that. I, I just I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't think he'll be fired, but you never know. Did you buy the fight? Tyson versus Fury three. Yeah. Uh, not Tyson. Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder. Three. Did you buy it on Saturday? It's wildly confusing that Mike Tyson was a big part of a whole life. Now the world champion is Tyson. It's we, Tyson Fury. Yes. We, we, we don't need yes. that. Our, our brain. Yeah. How does he look up. without a shirt? It's shocking that he's the heavyweight champion. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's inspiring for all the dad bods out there. How does Wilder look without a shirt? Uh, yeah, I'll take that one instead. I'll take that. that and body. he ends up on the canvas. Yeah, just not his chin, I guess. No, there wasn't a Paul brother fighting, so I, I stayed away from this. Really, one. you're not yeah. interested in Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder? No, I, I was interested. I just, I, I was just me and Piper, right? And then she left for a couple hours, and I had right. some midnight mass to watch, so I just, I, I couldn't do it. And then we got, we watched Best in Show, which okay. she loved, so no, okay. I couldn't do it. Well. You know what happened the last time they fight. This is, this is, I'm hoping yeah. they're not going to fight anymore. This is the third, right? This is the third. Yeah. You know what happened to me in my life the, the, during the second fight. Yeah, I do. I was supposed to go to a Jerry Seinfeld concert. Yes. So I'm hoping that they're not going to fight anymore because I'm tired of reliving, the, in my own mind, the Jerry Seinfeld ticket disaster. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, apparently Tyson Fury was a... Everybody who got it said it was an unbelievable fight. Instant classic, I heard. Uh, yeah. Great action. Both guys got knocked down. How often in a fight do both guys right. get knocked down? Right. Not very often, right? Yeah. And so that's what happened. And uh, Tyson Fury wins again. 
by, does, by knockout. As a proud American, is it weird that the heavyweight champion of the world is British? That doesn't sit right with me. <laughs> I should be an American. Come on. British, though? Uh, the toughest man in the world in the world of boxing is British. Yeah. I don't like it. And I'm not going to stand for it. There's got to be an American out there that can kick his ass. Let's find one. Let's find one, yes. Let's find one. A woman caught a baseball at a Chicago White Sox game the other day. Yes. Big deal. People catch baseballs all the time at games, as you know. Yep. Well, this woman didn't use her hand or a mitt or her hat or even a cup. She caught it with her prosthetic leg. <laughs> she held her prosthetic leg what? up. Yes. 27-year-old Shannon Frendre grabbed her right leg off and managed to hold it up as the ball perfectly dropped into oh it. Oh, my God. It's not clear whether it was actually a home run or a fly ball, but... When I looked at it from the speed, I think maybe the outfielder tossed it up to the crowd. You know how they do that sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, She shared the moment on TikTok captioning the video, five beers in and taking my leg off to catch a ball seemed like a great idea. Now, did she take – I hate to ask specifics about this. Did she take the leg off while the ball was in the air? Or did she – you know what I mean? Yeah, no. Like, um, that would have been an unbelievable move. Foul ball, balls up in the air. She then grabs the leg – pulls it off and catches the ball or does the outfielder say, Hey, I'm going to throw you the ball. So then she takes her leg off and says, yeah, throw it. I mean, I, I need to know the specifics about this. I wish I knew, but the video starts three seconds before it lands in her, in her prosthetic leg. So, uh, so we're we all, don't know. we're all still stumped. Okay. Mattress stumped. Mac is at it again. We're all still stumped. I know we Thank are. Thank you so much. I know. There you go. Mattress Mac is at it. Love again. him. Yes. He put $2 million on the Astros to win the world series in June. At 10 to 1, so he gets 20 million on his money if the Astros win the World Series. And then he's put 1.6 million more in various bets since then. Okay. Grand total if the Astros win another world championship, Mattress Mac, who's been on this podcast yeah. before, will be $35 million richer if they do it for him. Okay. I'm just telling you. That's not too bad. And but what if they then what happens if they... Doesn't he always kind of hedge himself? Yeah, or some, he's got some sort of a deal going on at the, yeah. at the store, but... but um, so are you rooting for the Astros now? For never, him? Never. <laughs> Even for Mattress Never. Mac? Okay. Never. Fine. All right. My, my mother could have $2 million on the Astros, <laughs> and I wouldn't. And I wouldn't root for the Astros. All right, fair never, enough. ever, ever am I rooting for the Astros. You see the Chicago, the Chicago White Sox-Astros fan fight that happened? Well, there's always a fan fight. I mean, you bring them up all the time. Never. This guy got clocked in the face so hard. Okay, yeah, you can go find it yourself. All right. Grandparents often fondly remembered for things such as, you know, their love of tea, Werther's Originals, and their cooking. But what about if the image in your head was completely tarnished after discovering that your old granny enjoyed a dabble with cocaine? (laughs) So much so that she actually had a cocaine snorting kit. Somebody was cleaning out their grandmother's house, and apparently back in the 70s, grandma had a little kit that contained a glass vial with a teeny tiny scooper spoon oh attached to the lid. Oh it would be used God. to shovel the powder on and stick it up the old nose there. Um, it's also a little slice of agate stone that could be used, and no wonder grandma used to call it the powder room, oh apparently. <laughs> so this, this woman put it out online, and it went oh. viral. When, when you clean out your grandparents, if you've ever had to do that, that's not something you think you'll find. Your grandparents, it was like a slice little suede cocaine snorting kit. Oh, no. Yeah, from the 70s. So there you go. You look at Granny a little differently. All right, I only have one more, and that'll be before your last one. So if you have anything left to give us, go now. All right. Speak now or forever hold your peace. It's scary when you hear your doorbell ring late at night and you're not expecting anybody. Yeah. Especially if you're, like, watching horror movies and you have that in your head. Yeah. This woman was freaked out. It's been happening a few times. She's in bed alone. The doorbell rings. She goes down. She checks. Nobody there, so she's freaking out. Checks the, the video to see who the hell's ringing my doorbell. 
and she sees two little antennas, like Martian antennas, sticking up. And a slug had crawled up her Zoom doorbell and was running over the sensor and making the doorbell go off. You mean like a ring? Like a ring. Yeah, like a ring or whatever, whatever they're called. Yeah. Yeah. And making the doorbell go off. So the videos, you see these two little (laughs) antennas. At first she thought it was maybe an alien coming to get me because you see the antenna. So, so maybe check your camera if that happens to you. I lied. How do you feel about watching Malik McDowell on the Browns dominate football games? Uh, Yeah, I know. I was watching, I had that game on when I was getting ready to come over and a sack. I'm labeled by Malik McDowell. I'm like, he not, he not only had a sack, but he recovered a fumble on, he's now playing special teams. This is the guy who was never going to play football again if yeah. you believe the whispers coming out of Seattle Seahawks. How do you feel about the fact that now, I mean, on one level, you feel good for him, I would sure. think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Second the other chance. hand, God almighty, you talk about snake bit with draft choices. The guy gets on an ATV, is that what he did? Yeah, and he yeah. has a significant brain injury. He's yeah. never going to play again. And then three years later or four years later, he's playing with the Cleveland Browns and he's picking up fumbles on... He's a big man. He's playing special teams and he's getting sacks. I don't know whether to be just just annoyed to no end yeah. or feel good for the, the, the comeback story. Well, I, I, just I think, don't know where I am on that. I think it's a bigger discussion about Schneider, maybe a little bit, and being able to pick talent and having an eye for that kind of thing. I mean, it's... People around me were bitching a lot about he's got to go. He can't. He hasn't hit on a draft pick Correct. in a long time. So I think right. maybe there's a little more to that than just one guy that, that who Schneider thought wasn't ever going to play again. I think it's a bigger discussion maybe at another time because yeah, I mean you had no idea this guy was going to recover. Who's telling you he's never going to play football again? Doctors, I think, were saying this is a guy that'll never get cleared to play <sighs> football again. Yeah, and he's playing and playing very well on a good team, and it's driving me crazy. I mean, had to see. If the Seahawks, I mean, if they didn't have such a great defensive line, I probably wouldn't care as much. But, I mean, they can't really use a guy like that, right, on the Seahawks D? <laughs> oh, my God. All right, real quick. One of the first pairs of shoes that Michael Jordan wore during yes. his rookie season in 1984. Yes. Going up for auction on Friday and expected to fetch as much as $1.5 million. Oh and they're not even Air Jordans. What the red and white sneakers known as Nike Airships were the first regular shoes that they made for him in his first year. Now, they were worn by Jordan during his Fifth game in the league as a rookie on November 1st, 1984 against the Denver Nuggets. Now you say to yourself, well, who has these shoes? How about a ball boy for the Denver Nuggets in 1984 was handed these shoes by wow. Michael Jordan after the game. Good for him. And he sat on them this whole time. Who, wow. I don't know how old he is now, but Tommy Tim Lewis III was the ball boy and got him from Jordan right after the game. And he's putting them up for auction. $1.5 million for an old ratty pair of shoes. This collectible He had old. no idea at the time, did, did he? he? Or he probably had an idea that he was given something special. Second player picked overall. You're like, okay, that's cool, you know? Oh. Why? Crazy, right? The ball boy gets one point. I know. You're, looking, you're thinking back to your life. Like, why can't I have anything like that? <laughs> what, what? Nothing? Like the guy with the Bitcoin in his drawer? Oh. Like, nothing. Ugh. Anyway, there you go. Good luck. Good luck, buddy, in your auction. Uh. Sit there and watch that price tag go right up. Nice. All right, that's it. Uh, I got one more. You got one more. Do you have anything else? You got any RIPs that you want to talk about? Nothing. Yeah, nothing. I don't think I don't know if people will know this guy. I just thought it was bodybuilder George Peterson. He's also known as Debole. No, he unexpectedly passed away this week at 37 years old. 37 days before he was scheduled to compete in a top bodybuilding competition. And yeah, he won the 2000. He won the classic physique competition in the 2019 Arnold Classic. I'm just I'm looking at him going. You can't be in better shape than him. I mean, he's just he has. Muscles everywhere. Steroids, maybe? That, that hasn't come out, but yeah, That's maybe. the first thing you, you think about with bodybuilding. It sure right? is. Yeah, it should, even if I think they might test, or maybe they, I don't know if they test, uh, but. It's but too yeah, bad. I mean, I've been How warning. Old? 37. Wow. And you should see this guy's physique. Wow. I've been warning people about exercise for a long time. Uh. <laughs> 
<laughs> Rest in peace to George Peterson. Okay. Yes. Hotshot, my final story is we've had a little bit of a tough run in the last couple of weeks in the classroom. Have you been paying attention? I think so. An 18-year-old student in Louisiana now faces charges of suspicion of battery of a school teacher, a felony after she allegedly attacked a 64-year-old disabled teacher. So a student Ugh. attacked a 64-year-old disabled teacher as part of a, uh, a challenge. Okay. Do you know anything about this? No. Yeah. Yeah, you see, the reason why we have a rash of, we've literally had a rash, and I can, I can name you a bunch of others, okay. of students attacking teachers and s slapping and smacking teachers. Okay. And the reason that this is happening is because of a new TikTok challenge. Okay, good. It's called the Slap Your Teacher TikTok Challenge. It's the latest trend of TikTok Great. that has resulted in students facing charges and being expelled from schools and as TikTok speaking out. Literally, students are on TikTok. They see this, the challenge. It's called the Slap Your Teacher Challenge, and they're going to school the next day and slapping their teacher, and some of them are hitting their teacher and slugging their teachers. Isn't that nice? As the husband of a teacher, I, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad she's at a grade school. Let's put it that way, all right? Yeah. I mean, this TikTok thing, it's like, so as TikTok said, we're not- We have milk crate challenges. Well, those got pulled. Is this, is this stuff getting pulled too, I assume? I would think that this okay, one would well, be even pulled before the milk crate challenge. Clearly, it took a while because people are doing it all over the country. Why can't people look at this stuff on TikTok and say, okay, that's not a good idea. I'm not going to do that. But they were eating Tide Pods. We're a bunch of dummies. All bets are off. I mean, you're asking something of a group of people who can't make I any I don't know. Decisions. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Why can't you have a medium like TikTok, enjoy it, and then when you see something that just looks like a bad idea and inappropriate, you go to the next TikTok instead of acting out upon it. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. Or maybe make a TikTok about doing something good. I think there's a lot of oh, TikToks oh, good. about okay. doing something good. Well, that, okay. But well. It, it's up to us to be able to take a look at the ones that are good and the ones that are bad and be able to say, okay, a slap your teacher challenge probably isn't the right thing for me. That's not the right path for me to go down. I think. So, why can't we be able, why, why do we have to go to the school and do this if we see it on TikTok? Who said you have to do what you see on TikTok? I mean, how much do we hold the parents accountable? Like, I, there's no scenario, I think, where Piper would smack a teacher. It's just not in her DNA. She just would not ever happen. Uh, Brett, is Brett going to ever smack a teacher? No, no. It's not in his makeup. No, he he'd just... have to go to class to do that. <laughs> That's okay, fine, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> oh, is he mad at me for ratting him out, or are we good? Uh, he's not mad at you. Okay. But that's a discussion for another oh, day. Oh, God. I got to run out of the house now. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> After the show, I got a shoulder roll down the hallway and dive out the window? All right, fine. All right, let's finish up. A police force in Ontario has released 911 audio after a man called the emergency line to report he had to go pee while stuck in traffic. Uh-huh. Peel Regional Police released the audio on Friday to remind people about the proper use of dialing 911. <laughs> when the 38-second call began, the operator uh, asked the guy if he needs police, fire, or ambulance. He first says he needs an ambulance, but then tells the operator he actually needs police. See, the thing is, I have to pee, and these guys are not moving, the caller tells the operator. This is your emergency, the operator responds, that you have to pee? Yes. And how are the police going to help you urinate? The caller then repeats to the operator that he has to pee. I have to pee, man, the caller says. 
I'm not sure what you'd like me to do if you have to urinate. I can't help you with that, the operator says before. Disconnecting the call. The police said Friday that needing to use the bathroom and the car ahead of you isn't moving fast enough is not for 911. We have to keep telling people that. Well, I know you're going to have a lot to say and a lot to add and a lot of things to talk about, but I I will say this as just an aside, that it is one of the real toughies in all of my world. Yeah. When you have to go to the bathroom and you're in your car and you're just trying to get home in time and you don't want to speed and you don't want to use carpool lanes when you're by yourself, and you just feel like you can't hold it You're any longer. Burst, yeah. And I'm not talking just pee. Okay, I'm talking about when you gotta go. Yeah. When you gotta go and you're in traffic on 405 trying to get home, it is amongst the worst. It is amongst the worst feelings you can ever have. It's awful. And everybody goes through it, right? Yeah. So oh, we've, I, on yes. some level, I actually sympathize with that person. Okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He does sound a little insane. I'm with you, but yeah. I also have to say that standing in line for the restroom at the Seahawks game last Thursday. The thought did kind of cross my mind that I could sure use a police escort right to one of those urinals. The audio call is available to listen to as it's public record. It wasn't leaked. (laughs) Two words for this guy. Trucker's lemonade. You don't know what that is, do you? Have you ever seen that? When next time you go to an off-ramp off the freeway, just look over. You'll see it. Bottles filled with with pee. pee. The truckers do it. They go in the Gatorade bottles. and they Oh, just, and then they toss it out the window. Truckers lemonade, oh. buddy. Oh. You might want to keep a Gatorade bottle in your car if it's that important to you. All right. Doesn't everyone... I don't know that I would be able to pee in a bottle while driving, though. I'm not that talented. Well, he's going zero miles an hour, apparently, so oh. a little easier, But what if right? you're going eight miles an hour or I... 10 miles an hour? Could you pee in a bottle while driving? That I don't know. That would be very difficult to do. Somehow truckers do it, and they got a humongous truck that they're driving, and they're going... <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Doesn't everyone know they that? they got you, a humongous that's right. truck. Which does, yes. makes it a little tougher. Doesn't everyone know that you don't call the police because you have to use the bathroom while sitting in traffic? I mean, that's rule number one. <laughs> and finally, this guy should be thanking his lucky stars the police didn't show up and arrest him for driving while high and drunk. Because clearly, what the hell else could this be, right? Oh, dear. Episode 162. We've got the Seahawks. And we've got the Steelers on Sunday night football. We've got a lot of... Late night for us. Late night for us. We've got lots of shows coming to the patrons. So if you're not already a patron, this is a great time to do it. Become a patron by going to MitchUnfiltered.com. And again, $5 a month. But if you are one of these people that would like to be a patron and yet you're not in a financial period in your life that allows you to spend $5 just on this kind of stuff, then just Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Write me an email. No, no explanation needed, and I'll take care of it. Okay? Very nice of you. Okay. Is that it? That's unless you guys. I got more stories. You want me to no, sit here all, all night and tell stories? You're good. Episode 162 is in the books.